give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You guys may say hi to someone next to you, and then you can have a seat. Awesome. Some announcements before we get started with our study today. Um, the first Wednesday in the month of August, we're going to be starting our Wednesday nights, our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, I'm excited for that. So come on out Wednesday night, uh, August the 4th, I believe, is the first Wednesday of August. So we're going to be here at 7 o'clock. Um, and if you guys would even uh, like to help us with... Uh, just praying before the study, uh, go ahead and, and uh, meet us here at, at 6 while we get everything ready. Um, and uh, along with that, our, uh, our men's fellowship has uh, been, been growing and we've been loving the, the book of Ephesians. Um, last, this past Friday, I had my, my friend Bo come out and give us a, a study. So if you go, men haven't joined us yet for our, our Friday night study, uh, come join us. Um, there's always coffee and, and cookies involved, so that'll get your flesh to, to come out. Come and join, uh, join us in our study. Also, um, we meet for leadership, 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you guys desire to, to grow deeper um, in your walks with the Lord and, and you have a heart to serve, we've been going through this book called Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders. Not only is it a good book to go through on, on Sunday mornings, but if you guys want to put this in your library as a book to get on spiritual leadership, J. Oswald Sanders. So that is where we are as a church. So continue to pray for us and continue to pray that the Lord would open up the doors for us to minister here in Glendora. But without further ado, I do want to jump into the text this morning. And we, I'm, I'm excited for this study because I, I believe that the Lord was teaching me this week, through this week, about this particular study. I titled it, Love Even Your Enemy. And, you know, that's a hard thing to do, is loving your enemy. Love even when it's hard. <laughs> at least I was looking at me when I was like, that's not the title. Love even when it's hard. And it that has to do with loving your enemy. Um, when we left off with last week, we studied how Jesus sent out his 70 disciples to do street evangelism and ministry. He told them, okay, go out and, and love on the people, minister to them. And the kingdom of God was being preached from house to house. And the disciples were even miraculously healing the sick and exercising demons. We saw this. And then the disciples came to Jesus. And they were so excited that the demons were subject to them. Then in Luke's gospel, chapter 10, last week we read in verses 19 and 20, it said, Jesus said to his disciples, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So now they're, they're right there in the midst of the life ministry of Jesus. And these disciples were blessed to be used by him. And they're going out and they came to Jesus. Jesus, like even the demons are, are subject to your name. And he gives them that warning. He says, I saw Satan like heaven, like lightning fall from heaven. And it was a warning that they would be humble. And he exhorts them about rejoicing that their names were written in heaven. Do you guys know what the word exhort means? Oftentimes you'll hear it in a Bible study or uh, you'll hear someone say, I, I want to exhort you. That word exhort, what it means is to encourage to strengthen, to instruct, and to teach. And that's what we are doing here this morning. We are being exhorted in the Lord. And Jesus, with this exhortation to his disciples, told his disciples to rejoice. And why was he saying that? 
He was saying that they should have joy and be glad over the truth that they were saved and have an eternal home. And this was the most important thing that Jesus wanted to get across to them. That there was eternity waiting, that this life is soon going to be passed. So it brings me to my study this morning in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. We're going to begin with verse 21, and I have written down my first point. Point one, a reason to rejoice. I would encourage you guys to take notes as we go through these studies and more recently, I've been, I've been actually loving finding that point in the text for us to, to take from and take home with us. So point one, a reason to rejoice. Beginning with verse 21. It says, In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. So now Jesus gives them this exhortation to rejoice. And then, like a good leader, the best way to teach something is to model it. Jesus himself begins rejoicing to his Father. You see, rejoicing, it's contagious and it's powerful. And believers have good reason to rejoice. Do you guys recall in the book of Nehemiah that the Jews, after being in captivity for 70 years, they were allowed to return to Israel and to begin rebuilding the city and the temple. And then the Israelites, led by Nehemiah and Ezra, after they had rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before them, and he began to read about the scriptures and explain their meaning. He was reading to them the Old Testament and was explaining, expounding on it. And as the people began to hear Ezra read the law, they began to mourn and weep. And they were mourning and weeping because they felt the conviction of God in their life. And at this moment, Ezra sees that his followers, the audience, the Israelites are now weeping over their sin. So he encourages them to rejoice in something. And there's a famous verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. It's one that I think we should have as a, as a memory verse. It says in Nehemiah 8 verse 9, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, especially that last part, I think we should all remember. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, perhaps we do feel condemned by ourselves, by our flesh, and by the enemy. The exhortation this morning is rejoice in the Lord. You are saved. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. A promised blessing is waiting for you now and in heaven. Your Heavenly Father loves you, and we can rejoice as Christians this morning knowing that God has already won the battle. We don't have to be plagued by our condemnation anymore. That God loves us just as we are, because he knows, he sees everything from beginning to end in our life. And this is what Jesus was telling them to rejoice in. He was saying, rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And notice in this verse, verse 21, it says, Jesus rejoiced. Let me read that verse again. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Right here, I see the Trinity, right in the Bible. You know, it's interesting. You won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but we see its existence in the Bible, that the Trinity is there. Look at this verse again. It says, Jesus, the Spirit, and he's thanking the Father. Three distinct persons, one God that we worship in three distinct persons. Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, thanking 
the Father. Now Jesus here is thanking the Lord of heaven and earth. And I like that title for God. See, oftentimes we need to clarify it nowadays of what God we are worshiping. The God who created the heavens and the earth. We're not worshiping any other gods that are out there, whether it be the gods of success, fame, or, or money, or the, the new age spiritualist God, the mother nature. No, we worship the Lord of heaven and earth. And again, what is, rege- what is Jesus rejoicing over? We'll read it. It says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. See, Jesus is rejoicing that God has revealed his understanding of salvation, of love, and truth to the simple-minded and has hidden these truths from those who think that they are wise. The word there for prudent, it means intelligent, having understanding. And the word for wisdom, it means knowing how to act with the knowledge that is given to you. You know, in the Israeli culture, during every Passover, every Passover meal, they had this prayer that they would actually pray, that they would say, we are all wise, we are all prudent, we all understand the law. Well, what's interesting is that this is the culture which bred religious leaders who could not discern that Jesus the Messiah had come to them. And yet they thought they were all wise and all-knowing, that they all understood the law, yet they missed the biggest point that the Old Testament was pointing to was that their Messiah was going to come to them, was going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. You see, we need to remain teachable. For it is to the simple which God reveals his truth to. Jesus calls them babes. Babes are they're helpless, defenseless. They have no power in themselves to do or say anything that is good. And that's what we must be before the Lord, realizing that it's not our strength, but it's all God's strength. Point two, know God personally. In verse 22, we read, All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. You see, God has given Jesus, his only son, everything. And no one can comprehend the glory of Jesus like his dad, like his father. And vice versa, no one can comprehend the glory of God the way that Jesus can, his son. Because there's a difference between knowing someone by secondhand knowledge versus having a personal relationship with that person. You see, I could, if I desired, to understand who George Washington is in a great way, go and read every single book that exists on George Washington. I could watch every documentary, every article that was ever written by him, read some of his his journals, his diaries, and find out probably so many facts and little details that maybe even his very wife didn't know about him. But I tell you what, I wouldn't know him the same way that his wife knew him. And the reason being, it's a personal relationship that she had with him. I can know facts and dates. I can know scripture like it's academia. I can know religion and theology as a pursuit of success. But if I don't know Jesus personally in my life, and if I don't have a relationship with him, then I fear for my salvation. And I fear for living that full, purpose-filled life that he designed me for. You hear me say this often, that if Jesus, if God created you for a purpose here on this earth, and you're not fulfilling that purpose, then you're going to be anxious and without peace, and 
You're going to be like, why, why is it not working out in my life? Why do I feel like there's something missing? And it's because you're not living that purpose-filled life that God has called you to, that Jesus has designed you for. And that comes by knowing him personally. See, Jesus knows his father intimately, and they have the same mind. And Jesus reveals who God the Father is to us through personal relationship with him. Oftentimes you've heard me say it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And you know what, in, in our common day, the word religion, you know, it's gotten a bad rap, and I've said that before. Religion is oftentimes seen as an organization that is dictating how men and women live. But when you look even at, at where religion came from, it's very word. The word religion comes from two Greek words, or two Latin words, I should say. One is re, which means again. And the second is ligari, which means to connect. So you have this idea of connecting again. Well, connecting again to what, you say? Connecting again to God. It means that something was connected and then no longer was it connected anymore. So that's the idea of religion. It's us getting back in touch with God, our Father, who made us for a purpose in our life. So religion, in its true meaning, was so that we can have that relationship. And a relationship, it needs to be cultivated. Because if you're not moving forward in, in your relationship with anyone, then you're moving backwards. Let's look at verse 23. Then he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and have not seen it, and to hear what you hear and have not heard it. Again, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament saints who eagerly desired to know what the promises God was giving them would look like for their future generations. You see, for us, something that we have that's a, a great blessing that they didn't have in the Old Testament is that we can rejoice that we know the promise of salvation and the Holy Spirit in our life, that we get to live that out. Before Jesus came into our life, before he came to this world, it, it was a mystery Peter talks about this in his epistle in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. I have the verses there on the screen. It says, Salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and his great glory afterward, they were told that their message, it was not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. See, Jesus changed everything. Before Jesus came, they were waiting and wondering what this life meant, what the promises of God meant. Do I, I want to remind you guys why we, our Bible is split up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. That word testament, its meaning is covenant, meaning promise. So you have the old promise, and then you have, again, the new promise. The old promise of what? What was the old promise? That Jesus the Messiah was going to come. And then when Jesus the Messiah came, he gave us the new covenant, the new promise. And what is that new promise? That Jesus the Messiah was going to return. You see, this all leads me to point three that all need salvation. 
all need salvation. We're about to get into the parable of the Good Samaritan, a very well-known parable. In verse 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, keep it in mind, at this point, Jesus is right in the middle with his disciples of giving them an exhortation and rejoicing with his disciples. And then suddenly upon hearing the topic of salvation, this lawyer, who's kind of a smart aleck, he stands up and he questions Jesus. And that word for tested him, it means to prove, to tempt thoroughly his mind and judgment. And that same word is used by Jesus when he answered the devil's temptation. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And his question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So I ask us this morning, what saves a soul? How do we make it into heaven? See, these are questions that are important for us to explain to people who don't know. And we all have to admit that we're sinners first and foremost. We're all guilty. So I ask us, how do we deal with our sin? How do we deal with the punishment that needs to, that is required with our sin? You see, if I were to rob a bank and then I was brought before the judge during my trial and I began to explain to the judge yeah, it's true. I, I robbed the bank. I see you got the video evidence. But you know what? I Just last week, I became a Christian. I've repented of my sin. Um, I feel really bad about robbing the bank. Um, and since, you know, I've joined a church and I, I've been doing a lot of good work in my life. So please judge if it's all right with you. I'll, I'll, I'll just go now. And uh, we're all good, right? We're all, it's all good. Now, what kind of judge would that be? If he let me go, I'd be a terrible judge, right? Unworthy for his chair. You see, there still has to be a punishment, even though we're doing good in life at times, there still has to be a punishment for our sin. So how then do we deal with our sin? Thank Jesus that it was by his sacrifice that he stands before the judge and says, Judge, I will take his punishment. I will take her punishment. Put it on me. I will take their sins. You see, the world struggles with this truth. So because of that, they don't understand God's grace. They mock and they tempt God, just as this lawyer is right now. But Jesus responds to the lawyer in his wisdom. In verse 26, it says, He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, perhaps there's a tone of sarcasm in his response. It was an accurate answer that the lawyer gave to Jesus. But in, a Matthew, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus responds and says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets, confirming that, yes, he was right in his, in his answer. But we read in verse 28, And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, the lawyer here knew according to the law that he was not loving all the people in his circles. He wasn't loving all his neighbors. So he asks Jesus, who is my neighbor? Perhaps so that he could get away with not loving some people in his life. Or perhaps even just making a mockery of the lesson that Jesus is trying to give here. So in verse 30, Jesus answered. It says, then Jesus answered. And I love it 
How at times, instead of just giving them the direct answer, Jesus often would illustrate to them a parable in such a way to bring forth a deeper understanding of the meaning. Which brings me to point four. We live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Again in verse 30 it says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So we have a man from Jerusalem who finds himself in a dangerous situation. His life is at risk and his property has been taken and he's beaten so badly that he can't even get up to dress his wounds. He's half dead. He's helpless. And this is what the world does to people. We have innocent lives being hurt every day. There's war. There's murder. There's rape. The youth are, are turned into victims and sometimes are not even able to help themselves. And this is the world that this man from Jerusalem finds himself in. You see, sometimes we, we point the finger at God and say, God, what, what, what are you doing? Why do you allow these things? And at, at the same time, as we're about to, to understand, even people who, who are that way, they won't stop and help someone who's in need. Now the first person to pass him by is a priest. And the priests were to be ministers of the Lord to the people. They were supposed to be servants. So let's look at point five now. Most people won't love. Point five, most people won't love. In verse 31, it says, Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now notice these two individuals. They had a divine appointment that day. Because... We don't know the future of our, our own lives or where we're going to go. So to us, sometimes we see things as just coincidence or chance. But with God's providence, all things are ordered. They're directed and governed. See, the phrase here, by chance, could accurately be read, so it came to pass. And what divine providence that the first man to walk by this wounded person is a priest who could show up and use his skills of education because the priests were educated in the temple and examine the wounded man. And then what would follow him would be a Levite who could have helped the priests that they perhaps would have carried this man to safety. This priest reminds me of us, sometimes in a hurry, sometimes too busy, I'm reminded of even, there was a VeggieTales version of this, and there was a song, I'm too busy, much, much too busy. It was kind of silly. <laughs> but now this man who's leaving Jerusalem, who's wounded, he's going to Jericho. In all likelihood, he probably, this priest actually, just came from the temple now. In all likelihood, if he's a priest coming from Jerusalem, you see, he would have been familiar with the worship of God. He would have been familiar with the sacrifices going on in the temple, with the songs and the prayers, yet this priest himself had not learned how to make sacrifice himself. And then the Levite that we read of. He would have, would have known his own family heritage, being of the tribe of Levi, that God appointed the Levites, saying to them that they would not be given land but that the Lord would be their inheritance and portion. And to them it was given the blessing of serving in the temple. See, both the priest and the Levite would have known to love your neighbor, but they both did not practice it. You see, I'm exhorting us this morning because we sit here and we hear these Bible studies. Don't leave here the same. Don't allow yourself to leave here the same way that you came in. 
See, oftentimes God gives us blessings in our life and more than we need so that we might even have the blessing of relieving somebody else who's in need. Last week at the end of service, after teaching on how the harvest is great, but the laborers are few, me and Howard and, and Lisette, we, we met this man. His name was Patrick. And he was living on the streets right now. And, uh, and he came and he bought some clothes so that he could be here at church today or that morning, but he was late. He, he, he didn't make it on time because he wanted to try to get some clothes to look good. And, and if you happen to see him here on a Sunday morning, love on him. His name's Patrick. Pray for him. And, you know, the, the Lord tested us with him. He brought someone to us and he wanted to see how our hearts were going to be towards this man and how were we going to respond to him. So we prayed with him. And then it's funny because the following Monday, me and Lisette came here to do some, some sound work. And he happened to walk by right as we were here in the, in the evening. And he came in and he was like, hey. I was like, hey, come in, have a seat, have some water. You're, you're welcome to join us as we, we practice and rehearse worship. And the Lord again was testing us. What are we going to do when God brings us someone to help and we do nothing? That's sin in our life. You see, there are sins of commission, meaning sins that you do something wrong, but there are also sins of omission. In James chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. See, there is room for discernment, always. We need it in our life. We can't put ourselves in the place of God or even at someone else's bank. But how much more often is it that our hearts don't desire to help those in need? So the exhortation, uh, as we're, we're here, be ready to be used by the Lord. Point six, have compassion. This is something we need in our life. In verse 33, it says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now notice who this individual is. It's a Samaritan. And you guys need to understand some cultural background about this Samaritan and the Jews. You see, a Samaritan, culturally, at that time, was known to be an enemy to the Jewish people. For reasons of, of different religious practices, and also for different ethnic backgrounds. You see, the Samaritans were actually half Jewish and half Assyrian. So because of this, the Jews, they, 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 didn't, they disliked them, and vice versa. There was even a, a, a custom to curse the Samaritan for the Jews. They would say, it is a Samaritan dog, let him be accursed. Now notice that this Samaritan... He didn't stop to ask the wounded man, excuse me, are you a Samaritan or a Jew? Or like uh, maybe perhaps us today, uh, excuse me, are, are you Christian? Do you, do you come from Calvary chapels? No, he didn't stop and do that. You see, when you see someone is in need, we need to ask, not their background, but we just need to be ready to be used by the Lord. Jesus taught us to love even our enemies. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, Jesus says, You have heard it that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, and do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Those are some hard words for us to take in and to live by. Again, in, in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 20 through 21, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. And that idea of the coals of fire, that was to inspire restoration to the Lord. You see, another verse comes even to my mind of what Jesus would tell his disciples, not in my notes, but Jesus would tell his disciples, if they ask you to to go a mile, go two miles. You see, we need to have that that heart that that is willing to just eat it, to die to ourselves. I remember when I would work at In-N-Out Burger and sometimes you would get these these customers who were just like very just rude at times. And you were like, I'm an In-N-Out employee trying to be friendly. And sometimes I had it in my heart and in my mind, especially when I became a Christian, like I'm going to kill them with kindness. <laughs> and then eventually, sometimes when someone was so rude, I would go so above and beyond in my mind. And I was like, I just want to make them feel like crap because, excuse me for saying crap, but I want to make them feel bad because they, they, they hurt my feelings, so I want to be so nice to them that they feel bad. And that even in itself is not a good mentality or a good motive because I'm just trying to make them feel bad. I got a little excited. <laughs> but we need to have that in our heart and in our mind that, you know what, we want to do things because it's for the Lord, that we want to serve them but unto the Lord. We want to serve others here. If you want to be a leader here, understand that we serve the ministry. The ministry doesn't serve us. In verse 36, so which of these three do you think that the, was the neighbor who fell among the thieves? Now I want to pause right here because perhaps right now at this moment some of us are thinking, man, I, I can't do that. I can't, I can't humble myself and let my enemy get the best of me. I won't do it. And I say to you guys, in your own strength, you're, you can't. You're right. If you struggle with that, in your own strength, you won't be able to do it. It takes a death to self first and that God would put his spirit so that his strength can work through you. Another example, I remember one time this guy uh, was just very um, harsh with me, very, uh, I'll say the word, crude. He liked to um, kind of be very, uh, using curse words a lot around me because he knew I was Christian. Not necessarily that he had something against me as much as my Christianity. And one time to test me, he began to curse at me. He said, hey, uh, you're a blankety blank. And I was like, whoa. And he's like, call me a blankety blank. And I was like, no. And he's like, just do it, man. Just, I called you something. Now you call me it ba- back. And I, like in the moment, I just was like, dude, like, I was like overwhelmed. And I was like, I can't do that. And he said, and he said why? And the Lord just put his words in me. I just came out of my mouth. I said, because I love you. And he just, like his face just was turned like. And then he stopped being that way to me. And he just, I, I, the Lord just, I guess, softened his heart towards me in that area. And that's, you know, my dad was just sharing a, on the men's study how one time the Lord used him to, to just love on, on his friend and say, hey, man, you know, we're friends, right? And the guy was being a, l- a little crude at times. And he was like, you know, um, we could talk, right? My dad was saying to his friend, he's like, yeah, we could talk. He said, you know, um, Mike, sometimes when you use the Lord's name in vain, it, it hurts me because you know I love God. 
And Mike began to just fill up with tears because he said, I'm so sorry, Sal. So, you know, we, we need to give truth with love, even to our enemies. Again, in, in verse 36, Jesus asks them, so which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. See, I love this part of the story, of the account, because the smart aleck lawyer, wanting to test Jesus and to justify himself, questions Jesus' command to love God and to love your neighbor. And he questions him by saying, well, how does one define my neighbor? Because I don't have to love everyone then, right? And Jesus, in his wisdom, responds to the lawyer and says, you go be the neighbor. You go and show love. You go and be merciful. Don't think about them as being the neighbor. You be the neighbor. I'm reminded of the man who asked us to be his neighbor. Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Perhaps you didn't know that Mr. Rogers was an ordained minister with strong conviction and a prayer life. And during that time when his TV show was, was getting big in America, cops were, were starting to be seen as racist towards African Americans. And he asked a man, Francois Clemens, who was an African American and also happened to be gay, to play in a segment of his show as a cop, to put on the police uniform and to sit with him in a pool. Perhaps you've seen that image before. You see, he, Mr. Rogers was loving enough to let Francois even know that, look, he, he told him, he's like, you, you know I'm a minister and you know what I do with my show. So he wouldn't let him promote his homosexuality on his show. And Francois was okay with that. And then in 1993, they recreated the whole scene and Officer Clemens had his last appearance on the show and Mr. Rogers then used one towel and dried Mr. Clemens' feet, an imitation of Jesus drying the feet of his disciples. And the, the officer, well, his name was Francois, he even stated, he said, I'm a black gay man and Fred washed my feet. You see, that, that's the love that God puts in a person's life. And I'll end with this example in scripture out of Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. This is out of the New Living Translation. It says, when we were utterly helpless... Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight, by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may your Holy Spirit move in this room. This morning, you want to reconnect with God. If there's been a disconnection in your life with the Lord, and you desire 
to be reconnected with him. I'm gonna sing this song of worship. That's just, that's you. Just stand to your feet. And I'm gonna pray with you. Jesus, Lord of heaven. standing, just repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I accept your son, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Empower me by your Holy Spirit Don't let me leave here the same. Mold me and use me. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. And Father, we just pray and we ask, Lord, that you would bless this church, that you would bless your people, Father. Those listening online, Father, be with them. Prepare us, Father, to love our neighbors, our enemies. And Lord God, we thank you, Father, that you loved us even while we were your enemies. So we rejoice, Father, you've given us salvation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. One more song, you guys will be dismissed. And then we'll see you guys on, on Friday night, men. If you would like some prayer afterwards, uh, feel free to, to come forward and you could ask me myself for prayer. My dad over there in the back. Ladies, if you would like to even ask Lisette for prayer, she would love to pray with you. So let's end it with this song.
And every chain will break As broken hearts declare His praise Who could stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion The Lion of Judah He's roaring with power And fighting our battles Every knee will bow before Him Our God is the Lamb The Lamb that was slain For the sin of the world His blood breaks the chain Every knee will bow before The Lion and the Lamb Every knee will bow before Him Who could stop the Lord Almighty? 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 Sing none. None can stop the Lord Almighty. None can stop the Lord Almighty. None can stop the Lord Almighty. None can stop the Lord. Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battle. Every will bow before Him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain for the sin of the world. His blood breaks the chain. Every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. be blessed. Love you guys. We'll see you on Friday.